Hey, it's Alana. And Katie. And you're back for another episode of Black and Yellow. Mm-hmm. What up, Black and Yellow Nation? How you doing? How you feeling? How you living? Hopefully those answers are good, great, happy, healthy. But if the answers are terrible, bad, struggling, and girl, just trying to keep it together, we feel you. Our heart mm-hmm. goes out to you. February uh, was a hell of a month, and it feels like going into March is still feeling like a hell of another month. But here we are, and hopefully if you are the latter and you need a little mental break in your day or mental break temporarily from life, uh, we're happy to be that break for you. So thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah. Uh, If you're a return listener, welcome back. Katie is back in the saddle for another week of shows. This is her third week. Katie, how's it going? Am I getting on your nerves already? No, I'm feeling it. I'm vibing. (laughs) awesome (laughs) (laughs) we are thrilled to be back in your eardrums for another week if you are a new listener please feel free to subscribe to the show if you enjoy what you hear we like to connect with everybody and all bodies and if you are an og (laughs) active listener it's great to have you back yeah and i'm excited for this episode for two reasons a you were the one that discovered and recommended this guest. So this yes. is like a, a very Katie-driven episode. And the and the uh, interview was great. I will let the listeners know up front, we had a bit of a sound snag issue. Mm-hmm. And so at a certain point in time, our guest could not hear Katie. But sad. fear not, it was sad. Because you had really <laughs> great things to say. And you're, this is way more up your alley in terms of education and STEM and like, having an understanding for this over me. So I was like, oh God, oh no, oh no. Uh, But have no fear, Katie, uh, I could still hear Katie. Katie will be a little bit silent during the interview that was not planned, but have no fear y'all, she is here and she's about to give us a piece of her mind today Mm -hmm. before the interview begins. So when put together, there are four alphabet letters that strike fear into my heart. Those letters are S, T-E-M, forming the word STEM and the acronym of the same name. Uh, As far as acronyms go, STEM stands for Science, Mathematics, Technology, and Engineering. Those are subjects I either failed in school or scared the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. I definitely felt the same way. The science (laughs) fair projects? Oh my God, I hated those so much. Girl, I forgot about science fair. I'm stuck on the going up to the chalkboard and doing math problems in front of the class. Peer pressure at its worst. Yes, and it's the sort of, I always got my my, uh, problems wrong. Like I was, anytime I was called up to go to the chalkboard and like do a math problem or some sort of science theory, I always fucked it up. It was always wrong. I didn't necessarily get laughed at, but you mm. know, like kids can be judgmental and you can feel the judgment oh, for of real. your peers. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, let's start here. What was okay. your, of, of the STEM subjects, yes. what was your least favorite and why? Science. Science mm. projects are the worst. <laughs> Got it, got it, got it. Biology, chemistry, did you take all of those? I did not. I actually got out of those. Yeah. I took biology for three years in a row, and that counted as my three science credits. Talk about high school failing you. (laughs) I adore you, Katie. Fuck you. I could not get out of (laughs) chemistry. 
to save my life. And I went to a community college for chemistry. Wrong idea. Oh. I had a tutor in the whole nine and cried when the final came. Just cried. Mm. Like one of those those feelings of like, here's your test and you have studied for weeks and you just looked at the paper and nothing made sense. Yeah. N- nothing felt familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had a bottle of Pepto because I've got pretty oh bad test anxiety. <laughs> well, like the, the nerves of taking a test have always affected my stomach. And so, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so by the time I was old enough to make my own money and like, buy a bottle of Pepto-Bismol that mm. was always a constant thing on my desk before every test wow and it still is like that when I take like an eye exam like I still have test anxiety when I like show up to the doctor me too to, to, to like <laughs> it's, it's the it's like one of those tests that I always drastically fail like I can't read that eye chart to save my oh. life oh wait say more <laughs> I thought you, I was totally waiting for a different answer than what you just said (laughs) no so my mom would always make this joke of like you know no matter what's going on the eye exam is the one thing that you will always fail at because my eyesight is so awful and she's right like i could squint and strain my eyes as like much as i can but i will never be able to read that unless i have you know glasses or contacts or something got it wow and mom was like yeah, no, girl, you're going to fail. This. <laughs> like, don't get your hopes up. Interesting, because I have the exact uh, opposite reaction, which is my palms get clammy standing in front of that board. Right. But I have good eyesight. So it's it it's just the fact that I'm being tested on something. Yeah. Kind of like if you're ever being timed on something, you get the same the same feeling Ugh. like you would totally do well. But if you weren't timed or in front of someone yeah. and being watched. Sure. Yeah, it's that pressure that messes with your mind. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So then I have to ask. Yeah. Culturally, being bad at math as a person, as a black person, didn't really like say anything about me. Like no one was mm-hmm. like shocked that I was a, a black person who was bad at math. But I got to ask as yeah. an Asian American yeah. who's bad at math or science, like what was that feeling like? You know, what's interesting is nobody really questioned my science ability, just my math ability. And I was actually really good at math and I actually really liked math um, up until I didn't have to take it anymore. Um, And I realized that it was all for nothing (laughs) Uh, because in social work, all you need is statistics. And so I took pre-calculus for nothing. Um, But I would have to pretend that I was not good at math because people looked at me and they're like, oh, you're Asian, you're good at math, right? Can I look at your answers? And so I'd be like, um, no, (laughs) because you don't know me and you don't know what my grade is and And you're being racist. Absolutely. And if we get caught cheating, my ass is grass and your ass is grass. So like, don't don't catch me up in that. I feel that, oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah, being bad at math, I think if you're an African-American person... If you're good at math, it, it almost is treated as like a, oh my God, like you're yeah. good at math? You I had that these um, experience. I actually witnessed somebody like have that exact reaction to someone. Someone who and looked black, but was not actually black. Was this person, so this person must have been a person of color, yes. but not black. Are we thinking like maybe Indian American, Hispanic Oh no, they're Korean, but they looked like they were black or Hispanic. Interesting. Yeah. And wow. yeah, that exact reaction where people were like, 
what you're good at math or english i can't remember which subject and i'm like that's messed up yeah that's racism too (laughs) like how dare you think that because i am in the skin that i'm in i cannot be good at x y and z uh subjects no i definitely feel that 100 percent. i think that when we think about women in stem fields Mm -hmm. in general we have been hit with the stereotype of women are not good at math women are not good at science men have uh, you know men's brains are better suited for numbers and theories and theorems like Mm -hmm. all of these stereotypes seem to come at us fast and hard as soon as we are school age yeah and even beyond that because my college roommate was chinese and she was an engineer major and her entire class and cohort were men doesn't surprise me i mean it's a boys club and i i would imagine for this friend of yours feeling very um not surprised that they were probably a sole female, is it? Yeah, female. Mm. Sole female just in a sea of men. In a, in a way, I would imagine that probably desensitized her, but also made her feel incredibly um, singled out at the same time. Yeah, but she was also someone who didn't give a crap about anything. And she was, I feel like she was a very empowered person from the get-go. Oh, great. She was older than me, but I, I always felt like she didn't take anybody's crap and she would always be like that's messed up you need to fix mm-hmm. that and like tell people out on it yes <laughs> yeah which Absolutely. i was like that's great i yeah. need to take some of that yeah any woman or any person that sounds off i'm all about it especially when it comes to addressing fucked up stereotypes mm-hmm. like that for sure mm-hmm I think when we think of this limiting belief of like women aren't good at STEM subjects, I'll just use that as a blanket statement. Um, We never grow out of that limiting belief. And that's a limiting belief that men and women have. Yes. It's not just as though like women, we think this about ourselves and men are like, no, 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 that's not true. You can do it too. No, men believe that we are just as terrible at STEM (laughs) subjects as we have been led to believe that we are. And it does make me wonder sort of what comes first, the Mm. chicken or the egg? Like, Mm. am I actually bad at math, full stop? Or was I kind of bad at math, but maybe because of this stereotyping, I was hesitant to try and be good at it. Like, I was hesitant to try and turn that stereotype around because Mm. what's the point? Like society thinks that women can't do math anyways why why try and prove them wrong yeah and that made me think of two things one is that if someone tells you something enough you start to believe it yes and two you're being taught a white person curriculum so how are you supposed to understand and get it Mm. you know it wasn't built for people of color it wasn't built for women the whole curriculum and i mean Mm -hmm. i know some teachers and counselors are going to disagree But, you know, for that particular classroom, you have changed it and thank you. But for others and for the general census of the nation and and every classroom in it, it was not built for people of color, for women. And so how are we supposed to learn when there's all these learning barriers set up so that we don't pick up on math, so that we don't pick up on science? And at least for me, engineering was not even a word that was mentioned in K through 12. 
Oh, I didn't I even know until my roommate because she was going for engineering. I want to say I was familiar with engineering at least like midway through high school, but I went to an arts high school. And I say that mm. because there were a couple of kids that blended visual art. Yes. And I guess what you would consider scientific art. Right. Yeah. Like graphic design or. Yeah. Yeah. So audio those, engineering or other. Totally. So those really practical applications yeah. of engineering, I think I was uh, exposed to, I mean, not, not terribly exposed, but was aware of. But mm-hmm. I would imagine that many people probably have a very similar uh, outlook on engineering as you were like, if it's not something that's brought up or is necessarily an interest, right? we don't really think about introducing it to our young minds as a career path. Exactly. Yeah. I think uh, in prep for this episode, A, I had a very hard time finding any evidence just to, to support like, yeah, teachers are really trying to change this. Like that oh, was no. one of my first dismaying things. Like, this is a problem. This is a gender stereotyping issue, but there's not a lot of movement to change it in the classroom. There's mm. movement to try and diversify it once we're all adults. But one could argue once we're all adults, let's say like 18 and up, our minds are made up about what we think we're good at, what we don't think we're good at, where yeah. we want our direction to go in life, so on and so forth. So it's hard to walk back those stereotypes once someone is an adult and pretty yeah. much is like, you know. You got to unlearn and relearn. And that's so hard. Totally. Which is really, really difficult to do. Retraining the brain is possible, but it does take focused attention to be able to do that. And you have to want to be able to do that. And let's be real. I don't know how many people want to retrain their brain to mm-hmm. think, let me accept women as being good in the STEM fields. Let me accept them as one of my peers as opposed to looking at them as a competition and this is a boys club and I don't want them to come in. Right. I, uh, in prep for this episode, I wanted to, I, I looked into the highest uh, award of the land, the Nobel Laureate Prizes, because I was oh. just a little bit curious to know how many women in the science field of the Nobel Laureate Prizes we popularly, when we think of the Nobel Prizes, we most popularly think of the Nobel Peace Prize. Mm-hmm. But uh, Nobel laureates are given in, in all different fields of work. And STEM specifically, there's only been three women that have been Nobel laureate winners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that being said, incredibly rare. Uh, those winners include a biochemical engineer named Frances Arnold. She won in 2018. For chemistry and Donna Strickland received the 2018 Nobel Prize in physics. Oh, that's so recent. I know. And if you let me give you something else to put in perspective before Strickland and before uh, Francis Arnold, the woman, the last woman to win a Nobel Prize was Marie Curie in 1903. So just think about that <laughs> like time gap. <laughs> That is a huge gap in time. Uh, When Strickland, who was only the third female physicist to get a Nobel Prize, uh, what she had to say about this was when asked how she felt, she noted that at first it was surprising to realize so few women had won the award. And then she goes on to say, quote, but I mean, I do live in a world of mostly men. 
So seeing mostly men doesn't really surprise me either. Yeah. Um, really, really depressing. I'm so sorry. I did overlook one thing in my notes. So Marie Curry won in 1903. And then I hope I don't butcher this woman's name. Maria Gopair Mayor won 60 years later. So we have a couple of women that's not a whole hell of a lot between 1903 up until 2021. It's like at least 60 years apart for each of them, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. And I think when we stop and look at why the STEM field does not have more gender diversity, I mean, I don't think it's crazy to say that a big part of why there aren't more women in it is because there's a serious lack of role models. If yeah. you can see it, you can be it, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you can't, it's harder to imagine that that line of work is something that is welcoming to women or is even a field of work that women want to go into. Yeah. When you don't see yourself represented, I mean, how would you even think of the idea that you could be it? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like um, I don't know if you saw all of the tweets about uh, when vp was um you know taking office and she was Mm -hmm. you know doing doing the oath and everything and people were showing their young daughters of color yes watching it Mm -hmm. you know and and all the comments that they made about you know now my daughter wants to be vp because you know she saw her represented and yeah you know all those things but but that never happened before because they never saw themselves before and i i would argue that probably most young girls don't even look at the election to begin with. <laughs> at least I yeah. didn't. I mean, I can understand that. I remember when, when Obama got elected and the, the big uh, phrase that floated around the black community was, now we can tell our kids that you can actually be anything. Because right. before Obama, it was like, you can be anything you want to be. You just can't be president of the United States. Yeah. And I think that this is another example. I think the VP example is a great example. I think that we need more Kamala's and Obama's going into STEM fields because we need these women to be supported. I would also wonder, because the STEM field is not um, super female heavy, I wonder the women that do go into it, if there's any sort of like antagonism or... Yeah. Not necessarily like the warmest welcome from your peers and supervisors. Oh, yeah. I can give you examples. Oh, go for it, please. My cousin um, started working in STEM right out of high school, which, you know, goes back to our first episode where you don't need college. <laughs> um, and, she, you know, she is 18 at the time. And she was saying that, Ooh, like, baby. You know, men, white men in their 30s were, you know, hitting on her and trying to like look down her shirt and because mm-hmm. she, she's also a little bit heavy chested uh, for uh, context but that doesn't give an excuse of course nope. and um, my roommate also said when she first started in the field that people would ask her when are you going to have kids like why aren't you doing that instead of working here uh, you know we don't believe that you can be a supervisor for these reasons because you're the youngest because you're a woman because you're also a person of color. Like, there's all these... Yeah. So, it, it still happens. And this was maybe five years ago. Oh, my God. Most. It's super recent. Super recent. I think we should enact uh, a counter to the question... When a woman gets asked the question of, when are you going to have a baby? And that question is coming from a man. 
I am going to start responding. I don't know. When are you going to have a baby, sir? <laughs> I'm going to make that a thing. I hate that that line of questioning for women so, so much. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly because if a woman wants to be a mom, great, she'll go and be a mom. If she doesn't, she doesn't have to be. But right. I, this idea of not allowing women to fully step into their power and to fully succeed because they're young and aren't you going to want to have kids one day? Mm-hmm. That's not your concern. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. also, I you don't ask men up- those questions. No, not at all. I remember um, when Stacey Abrams' name was being floated to be the VP. And one of the things that, I guess, black auntie Twitter, it's a very specific branch of Twitter, mm. was talking about was how could she be VP? She has such young children. I just don't know if that's a Appropriate. She's got young kids. Those kids need her. And my thinking going, hey, this is Stacey fucking Abrams who got who basically saved our asses and saved the election. And who are we to decide what is best for her children? Right. When we she's don't know already. Them. Yeah. When she's already proven herself super successful and able to do the best job for the United States. P.S. Obama's kids were young, too. Yeah, that's what I was office. thinking, too. They were super young. (laughs) But we don't ask about Obama and his kids and who's taking care of Sasha and Malia because Mm -hmm. the assumption was that, yes, we realize that Michelle was behind the scenes. But the point is that we don't question someone's uh, readiness to step into a bigger role due to their either lack of kids and the assumption that they might have kids or that they have young kids and that needs to be your priority. Right. And even as first lady, Michelle was very active and was doing all types of things. Definitely. And nobody was necessarily like, well, who's watching the kids? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So in this episode, we are going to be talking to a great woman named Tiffany Dawson. She is going to talk to us about her her work in the STEM field. She's going to talk to us about her work also with getting more women into STEM careers. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about confidence. We're going to be talking about diversity. We're going to be talking about all the good things. But first, let's kick into our small business segment, shall we? Oh, pick up. <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> no, you're totally good. I was just looking for a yes. That's oh, it. yes. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was just like, am I supposed to introduce this segment? No, no, no. You're you totally me fine. off guard. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I will take it from here. Okay. This segment is called Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. It is our small business segment where we want to encourage you, dear listener or listeners, to engage in economic protest. Every dollar that you spend is a vote, and we want you to vote in the right way. We want you to vote the black and yellow way. So in this segment, Katie and I are going to spotlight one black-owned business, one Asian-owned business that we think is great, that you guys should put on your shopping roster for the next time you're in the in the market for. For me, it's toys, but for Katie, it's... Stationery. Ooh, I love the smell of pen and paper in the morning. <laughs> so mine is wonton in a million which is a store for all your stationary things, whether it be stickers, tabs, washi tape. They have everything for notes, planners, even laptops uh, to stay organized and cute. And did I mention all of their stationery is designed as cartoon dim sum. That's really? right. Really? Awesome. Steam buns, wontons, Stop even egg it. rolls. <laughs> all cartoon. That's tight. 
<laughs> oh my god, that's so tight. So cute. Uh, it's a perfect way to get a smile on your face while you persevere through those midterm seasons, the work projects, even to entertain your kids for a while. Uh, the Dim Sum Steam Team hopes that their stationery will touch your heart, get you feeling hungry, and inspire you to visit and support your local Chinatown businesses. Ooh, that sounds like a really great gift. Like if, if anyone has a... a a gift giving list as I do for any like professional gifts or kids gifts or whatever. This is a great business to add on to it. They're and very cute. They're, they're called the steam team. I'm mm-hmm. a little obsessed. The dim with that. sum steam I team. I love it. <laughs> I miss dim sum. Wait, so I realize this is a super tangent. Are you missing dim sum? Cause I'm missing dim sum. I'm missing dim sum. I had the Trader mm. Joe's uh, dim sum, like the microwave, sum, but I'm like, this is not the same thing. Mm-mm, mm-mm, blasphemy. No shade to Trader Joe's. Like, we love you, Trader Joe's, but... But they are a traitor in their Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Your shrimp shumai has me wanting so much more Trader Joe's. I'm just letting you know. Um, okay, cool. I will go next. I chose the Black Toy Store. So we definitely had kids and young adults in mind on that very similar wavelength. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Twitter, they are, or sorry, on Instagram, they are at the Black Toy Store. The Black Toy Store is your online destination for hand-picked, curated children's toys, games, books, and gifts that reflect the beauty and diversity of the African diaspora. Mm. I basically chose this uh, business because I wanted, I was looking for STEM toys for people of color. Yes, and lo and behold. The Black Toy Store. Silly me, I didn't really know a Black Toy Store existed. I always sort of felt like if you wanted to go and shop for Black Toys, you had to go to the White Toy Store and, like, move stuff and search and whatever. (laughs) Yeah. But no, you can just head right on to theblacktoystore.com. They have all kinds of gifts that fall under the STEM umbrella. Uh, you can build your own solar-powered car. You can uh, learn to code with their coding robot, Botley. They've got mm. dolls and action figures. You can put together pipes. They've got a chemistry set. But I think my favorite of their offerings is the Black Girl Math-Jick subscription box. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. Um, There are tons of toys on the site for countless hours of stimulating fun to keep your kids entertained and off your nerves and out of your hair. (laughs) So check out the Black Toy Store the next time you need to get your kids obsessed with a brand new toy and you need a break from your kids. That's educational. I'll drop link. There you go. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) I'll drop links to these in both of the show notes. But let's get to our guest intro, shall we? We can't wait to talk to Tiffany. Yes, yeah. So Tiffany is an ex-mechanical engineer turned career coach for women in STEM. She teaches step-by-step frameworks to become confident, strategy savvy, and influential influence, excuse me, leaders with ease and grace. Let's take that top one again. I'm just gonna yeah. the time. Cool, got it. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just gonna because I misread that. Okay, pick up. <laughs> Tiffany is an ex-mechanical engineer turned career coach for women in STEM. She teaches step-by-step frameworks to become competent, strategy savvy, and influence leaders with ease and grace. She also talks about promotions in STEM fields. 
Mm, having worked at global engineering consulting agencies across Australia and the UK, she witnessed and experienced the many challenges women still face in male-dominated industries. And after overcoming her own battles with imposter syndrome and poor work-life balance, she was compelled to teach other women to do the same. You can often find Tiffany speaking at events about gender equality in STEM and sharing career advice on her podcast, How to Be a STEMinist. Her podcast is dope, and so is she. We are so excited to have her here today. We love having fellow members of our podcasting tribe on the show. Tiffany, welcome to the Black and Yellow podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on. So let's, first and first, I have to say thank you. I think you're our first international guest, minus our, our, our neighbors to the north in Canada. So Thank you so much for being our first uh, international guest. This is a very exciting setup process, so we're really happy to have you. Wow, what an honor. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why don't we start out by having you tell our audience a little bit more about the work that you do? Sure. So I help women in STEM, so science, technology, engineering, and maths, to basically create amazing careers that they love. Mm. So I help them do this by getting them to increase their confidence, to become a bit more strategy savvy when it comes to career progression and navigating the workplace, and finally to have more influence so they can become amazing leaders and role models for the generations below them. Yeah, you definitely are a leading voice in terms of changing the next generations of STEM coming up underneath uh, the ones that are already presently in the workforce or in the education force. So thank you so much for changing the world for women nationally and internationally. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, when I first started up this coaching business, so I, I do coach women in STEM careers, um, I really just thought if I could reach a few women and help them change their lives or, you know, change the way that they think about their careers, I'd be so happy. And the amount of, I guess, yeah, I guess the the amount of um, attention my podcast has gotten and, and the social media posts that I get Uh, that I put out has been so incredibly overwhelming and it just goes to show that this is something that really needs to be done and something that more people need to get on board with you know I've met some other amazing coaches for women in STEM as well and I'm just so happy that this seems to be a growing thing that women in STEM are starting to look after themselves and to progress Mm -hmm. their own careers because I think the way too long we have relied on our employers to provide us with all the training that we need but it's not school (laughs) you really need to start (laughs) yeah like you know you're you're not being looked after anymore and and I think that's a really common misconception Mm. that your workplace is going to look after you and while they don't want to kick you to the curb or anything like that (laughs) you really do need to start taking responsibility for your own career progression especially in such male-dominated fields as well yeah, mm. and shout out to your STEM squad, by the way. That sounds awesome. Well, can you tell us more about your journey uh, to becoming a STEMinist? What inspired you and uh, what's what's the most rewarding thing, I think, about your journey thus far? Sure. So my journey towards being a STEMinist really started because I used to be a woman in STEM. So I worked in mm. the construction 
industry for about eight years as a mechanical oh. engineer. Okay. And yeah, throughout that time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> throughout that time. So, you know, at the start of my career, I I didn't really know that being, you know, not being a white male in the workforce would affect me at all. You know, it just. Mm. Oh, dang. You kind of hear about it, but you just don't really understand what impact it's going to have on you, if at all. Um, and mm. it wasn't until, you know, I got to more senior levels that I noticed that the opportunity gap between me and some of my colleagues was growing. You know, the more senior I got, it was growing and they were getting all these opportunities. They were getting all this, you know, extra mentoring and sponsorship from people. And why wasn't I getting it? And I just assumed it was because of me. I thought it was because I wasn't Mm. as able as them or they were better than me. Um, So I really just started to doubt my abilities as an engineer. I thought maybe I wasn't good at the technical stuff. And I was told a couple of times, you know, you're not progressing as much as we would like you to. And so I got really disheartened. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely talk a bit more about that if you'd like. Yeah. Um, But, you know, just as an overview, all of that kind of stuff really uh, played a toll on, took a toll on my belief in myself in my career. And it wasn't until I kind of hit rock bottom that I got some help and that I realized actually it wasn't me and there were things Mm. that I could do about it Um, Mm -hmm. and I learned some really simple tools to grow my confidence and to um, be a bit more strategic in my career and I was like great this is so easy but then I got really angry because no one had ever taught me this stuff before I understand that feeling (laughs) and I was like this is so frustrating if this is so easy and so quick to implement why is this the first time I'm hearing about why did I have to hit rock bottom why did I have to become a leader in the company before I got any help so Mm -hmm. um long story to answer your question as to why I became a steminist because of that experience (laughs) I'm sure I'm going to go on lots of big tangents today, but because of <laughs> Great, that I love that. Yeah. Um, I started to evangelize all this stuff to my colleagues and to my friends. I'm like, right, you're, you're like working 12 hours a day. This isn't right. We can do something about this or you're not feeling confident in this and that. What can we do about it? And I, I just started teaching my colleagues and friends and people who I managed at the time these tools, and I saw them transform their lives and careers. And I just loved doing that. Um, nice. So that was my start of my journey to becoming a STEMist. Saint <laughs> Tiffany, Saint Tiffany, the event, the confidence evangelist. I love it. <laughs> I mean, you said you have eight years, so that I'm sure you have lots of stories. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Can I ask a follow up question? Do you think that you didn't have that support in in other because or they didn't tell you in school about all of this, like gender gap and such, because it was meant, you know, back in the day for white, you know, middle class men to be pursuing these careers. So they just didn't think to have conversations about like, oh, you're a woman or you're a woman of color or you're a person of color going into STEM. You're going to face these barriers. and you know, systemically, this is why, um, do you think that maybe that was because they were like, 
oh, it's just for, you know, white men. We don't have to talk about these conversations because it's them. We don't talk about diversity necessarily. Mm. Yeah, I think that's part of it for sure. There's, I guess it's quite complex. You know, there were probably points in which um, I was maybe told about some of this stuff, but my ears Mm. were shut to it because I Mm. felt at the time, well, if I just do a good job, then this shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a really common thing. Like, and and people, especially women, will feel that maybe they're not getting the opportunities because they're not good enough. Not just because mm-hmm. they're not getting the yeah. opportunities because they're different to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Another thing is that I don't think people necessarily don't talk about it because they feel they don't need to. It's that they don't mm. know it's a problem. And especially when you are a white male in the workplace. <laughs> I've got nothing against them, by the way. It's just that they are sure. the majority. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm married to one. so um, <laughs> I'm engaged to you one. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't think people ignore it on purpose to spite women Mm. or anything like Mm -hmm. that. It's that they don't understand that it's a problem because they've never lived through it. Mm. Mm. And um, so that kind of goes into my question, which is you, you definitely notice the significant, you know, gaps with both male, female and non-binary representation in both leadership and promotions. Cause you, you know, you said it, you're an exact (laughs) example of it. Do you, uh, notice these significant gaps also in students who are pursuing STEM or rather in students being supported and encouraged to pursue STEM careers? Yeah, although I must admit that I haven't been to school for a very long time. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like anymore, but um, I, I can see that there are some barriers for mm. I guess, a more diverse audience to enter the STEM fields. So it kind of starts when you're a child. And one of the barriers is, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you talk a lot about role models and mm-hmm. having having relatable role models who you can look up to and be like, I could potentially be like that person one day. I want to live a life like hers or his. Um, And it's just easier to picture yourself in that position if you have a visible role model or you're at least, uh, you've at least um, been introduced to the fact that engineering or science is a, is a degree that you could have. So Mm -hmm. uh, when you're a kid, you have contact with teachers, you have contact with um, hairdressers, you, you know, the everyday people that you you understand, yeah. you can see those people, you understand what those people do and or like even firemen, policemen, you know, you understand what those people do. Whereas what child has to ever hire an engineer? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they, Boy. Will, they will never understand what an engineer does until – they're an adult and even a lot of adults don't know yeah yeah that's a great point <laughs> all my students so say they want to be they engineers know of an engineer yeah. or unless you know an engineer or a scientist comes into their school and tells them what they do day to day and gets them excited about it they have already you know a lot less chance of going into the field um mm. now you know katie asked about university students 
yeah, you know, when I was doing engineering, it kind of, I think it took a lot more resilience for me to continue on in engineering only because it's a boys club. It's not that inviting for women. When you go into the computer labs, it's full of posters of Star Wars and, um, you know, stinky, stinky boys (laughs) who have not discovered deodorant yet and all that kind of stuff (laughs) so it's like it's kind of just not a nice place to be um unless you love the subject so you have to be Mm. you have to be really passionate about the subject if you're going to keep going um so yeah there's quite a few barriers there I guess Actually, yeah. yeah, can we talk barriers? Because I wonder if there's any uh, other invisible barriers to entry that serve to keep women and people of color out that maybe if you're not in a STEM field, you wouldn't be super aware of. Yeah, I I do think, you know, one of the main barriers would be like to enter the STEM fields would, would just be lack of contact with people in those fields. Like I said before, you know, it doesn't just affect kids, but uh, even a high school teenager who has never met a scientist before or a web developer before, how will they understand Mm. what, you know, what they do and how could they impact the world from doing that? How will they know that those jobs align with their values and the things that they want to achieve in the future? So that's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Is it? I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> the first time. No, yeah, it's great because I'm sitting here going, when was the first time that I met a scientist? Like how yeah. old was I when I first met a scientist or uh, uh or, or someone that worked heavily in technology? And I think I was like an, an adult. I think I was I in was college. Definitely yeah like that isn't something that we it's not something that we take our kids uh to field trips on we're not like let's go to the local (laughs) engineering computer lab or or the local uh uh, science hub and meet scientists and see what they do like that's definitely not on the school curriculum or the school field trips that we take it's like Mm -mm. the zoo and other sort of cultural places, but not necessarily anywhere in STEM. You're totally right. There's no context for it. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. No context for it. You've worded it perfectly there. And <laughs> I think the other thing I is <laughs> the other thing is that um, I guess a lot of teachers also don't know mm. engineers and web developers and scientists. So how yeah, how can they to help to promote? Mm those fields if they don't know about them same with so the university that I went to I felt like my degree didn't really prepare me that well for the work field for industry Mm. work so my Mm. university was prepping people to go into the research field to do their PhDs and doctoral um, research so there was a heavy focus on Got trying it. to get people to go into research mm. and all of my lecturers had no experience in industry whatsoever so even when wow. you're studying i know don't give me that face it's like such a flaw and a, a dropped ball yeah yeah and i i think it's a bit of a traditional university type thing. You know, mm, it's quite mm. a prestigious thing. You want to go into research, but they haven't quite thought about preparing people to go into industry. So even at university stage, I felt like 
the representation in order to enter the work field was quite low. You know, the the yeah. barrier there was that I still, by the end of my uh, university degree, I had no idea what I could do with it. Mm. Wow. I wonder if part of that is because our school system teaches us to be students, but not necessarily to be employees. Like we tell our kids, yes. study, learn all the facts, get them right, get an A on that test, turn in that paper on time, turn in that extra credit project. But we don't actually teach our kids like tangible employment skills because mm -hmm. it sounds like to be a researcher is just to continue the um, the learning life. It's it's to continue the scholastic re the scholastic life, but not necessarily like working in the field. Yeah, I think um, e even when you go into research, there are definitely, you know, more career minded things you've got to think about as well. But you touched on a really interesting point there that all our lives we are prepared, we are prepped to learn how to succeed at that year level and get good yep. grades. And sure. mm -hmm. that is why I get so many women come to me saying, I don't know what to do next in my career. So career direction confusion is a really big thing because all of a sudden when you finish school, when you finish college, you're left to your own devices. There's no clear next yes. step of what you need to do next. Yeah. And Mm. This is really common. People feel really down on themselves because they feel like if I don't know what I want to do, I must be a failure. I must be so stupid that I don't even know what I want to do. But it's not their fault. It's just that we have never been taught how to listen to our intuition, how to align our goals with our values and all that good stuff. So no wonder so many of us are lost when we get to that stage. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally. <laughs> So we are doing a deep dive into education this month, and we wanted to ask you a few scholastic-related questions. Sure. So you're from Australia, correct? Yes, that's right. Currently residing in the UK. We're in the US, so we're talking about three different school systems here. This is exciting. Um, uh, our, education, our education systems, I would all imagine, are quite different. Would you say you were encouraged to, and supported to pursue uh, STEM growing up? And as this question relates, um, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago. I have to ask you this follow-up question. Is it necessary to go to college if you want to pursue a career in STEM? Okay. So the first question, <laughs> which was about whether I felt um, supported into going into STEM. Was that right? Mm -hmm. I did feel supported, but I do wonder whether that is because my dad is an electrical engineer and he always encouraged oh. me to, I guess he didn't really encourage me until I was in high school, but you know, I, I did have that influence within my family to go into Got engineering it. and that it was mm. a career that I could do. Um, mm, okay. So I went to an all girls school. Uh, when, oh, yeah. <laughs> fun. Yeah. And I do wonder whether in an all-girls school, because you don't have the the gender dynamic. Yeah, not, not just the distraction, but there kind of didn't seem to be a taboo of this is a boy's subject, this is a girl's subject. So I, oh. I wonder if that also helped me specifically. Yes. Yeah. Um, huh. yeah. 
So that's kind of maybe something interesting to think about. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. I wouldn't have even considered that either, but I've, I've never gone to a single sex school. It's all been co-ed. So I never thought about how that dynamic would play into what people chose to study and, and passions people chose to uh, dive into. Yeah. And I, I guess the other interesting thing was when I graduated and when I started working in the field of engineering, I noticed that the other women who I worked with or, or were other engineers in, in my field, they also, a lot of them did go to girls' schools as well. So whether it was that mm. uh, that cultural experience of not having that gender divide at school helped or whether sure. it was that yeah. these specific girls' schools at these times were told by the government to talk about engineering as a topic. <laughs> Um, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fair enough. And then do you have to go to college to pursue a STEM career in engineering? No, definitely not. I know plenty of people who work in STEM who do not have a degree. Um, this is very oh. common specifically in um, tech. So the tech mm. field, work, you know, it, it develops so quickly. Sure. And I feel like I have a very personal um, opinion on uh, university degrees these days because the world is innovating <laughs> so quickly that sure. by the time you finish your degree, if it's three or four years, mm, everything's changed, changed, you know, mm, and especially in tech, things change so quickly that um, even people who work in tech careers, they have to constantly keep up with the changes that are happening. So mm -hmm. I would say the actual degree itself is not important unless it is a, sure. it's required for the role. So for many engineering roles, you may need mm -hmm. to have a degree if you're going to be able to sign designs off later on when you're at a director or something like that. Um, Got it. But in tech, Many people will do a 12-week boot camp, which you can do online and you oh, can wow. learn everything you need to know to start a career and you're off. So you do not need to have a degree. My husband is a web developer. He never went to university. He retrained mm. when he was over 30 years old and he's now oh. an engineering manager. So, you know, you do not have to have a degree at all. No. <laughs> Tiffany, I feel like you just made a couple of our listeners like dreams come true. Those listeners that are listening that are like, I don't want to go to college. And mom or dad are like, yes, you have to. And someone's going to listen to this episode and be like, no, see, Tiffany said, I don't have to. I've got that 12 week boot camp. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what I would say is, you know, no matter what uh, learning course you end up doing whether it's a degree or a boot camp be really clear about what you want to get out of it so mm -hmm. if you're trying to escape doing a degree just because you can't be bothered but actually the the <laughs> results of having the degree is going to be really useful for your career then think mm -hmm. about that but also on the other hand I meet a lot of women who feel like they have to get another degree before they take the next career step or they have to do a master's mm. before they do anything else. And most of the time they don't have to do that. They don't have to spend years and years. They don't have to spend thousands of dollars or pounds to get another degree to take that next step. It is one of our most common ways of 
delaying our progress feeling Ah. like yeah so feeling like we have to do this before we do that most of the time you don't have to do that and before you take on any degree it costs so much time and money think about the result that you are going to get out of it and whether it's actually necessary yeah hmm I would like to ask a follow-up question to that. I wonder if the, the need for extra schooling, is it something um, is that something rooted in our readiness and preparedness, you think, to go into a field? Like we feel like we have to be overqualified and overeducated for a position, whereas we know in studies men generally tend to go into something maybe a little bit less qualified. Do the and, bare and, minimum. Yeah, and yeah. confident that they'll learn in the process of, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <sighs> you know, I I think as girls and boys growing up, we do get treated a little bit differently. Again, not on purpose, not that people, you know, not that parents and teachers are wanting to squash women or anything sure. like that. But it's embedded, <laughs> it's embedded in our society and our culture that, yes. you know, as a girl, you must be prepared for everything. You must have everything in yeah. your handbag for anything that must go wrong and all that kind of stuff. Whereas boys, if, if they go on an adventure and forget to bring some, you know, their sleeping bag, oh, ha, ha, how funny, they'll, they'll just go and figure it sure. out. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. And they're not told to pack their handbags. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other thing is, um, you know, we, we touched on this briefly with, with our, schooling life preparing us for the wrong things and it definitely Mm -hmm. at school you get prepared to be prepared for everything and sure and you're not allowed to make a mistake because you'll get a bad mark whereas in Mm -hmm. your career you have to make mistakes you have to experiment and especially in stem where you're in the business of problem solving you have got to try different things to see if they work or they don't otherwise we'll never come up mm. with innovative solutions so mm. yeah another massive mm. tangent there but um an important no, one. That's good, good one. advice yeah definitely for sure do you have any advice or tips for any students exploring careers in stem in school Yeah, absolutely. First of all, there are now some amazing teachers who have gone to the trouble to study up on what a career in STEM is. There are some Mm. programs out there that are teaching teachers how to talk about STEM. So if you're lucky enough to have that type of teacher, draw Ah. on their knowledge. However, most people will not have the luxury of having a teacher who is necessarily that read up on STEM. So Mm. what we are really lucky to have these days are things like Instagram and Facebook. (laughs) And there are so many role models and people you can learn off on social media. So start following some of those people. If you're not sure who to follow, um, I'm, you know, I'm very happy for you to reach out directly to me and I can point you in the right direction. But definitely follow a couple of those people because if you don't have role models directly in your own life, we now have a way to reach them on the internet. And sure, they can be on the other side of the world. They can be people you will never end up meeting face to face, but they can still help you in their own way mm-hmm. of being a role model to pursuing a career in STEM. So 
get on that. Find some STEM influencers <laughs> and follow them on socials. Like we will also drop links to how to stay connected to you in show notes. Uh, if if someone listens to this episode and is like, yes, Tiffany Dawson, that is my STEM influencer. I'm trying to get career advice from her. Um, you've devoted your entire career to achieving gender equality in STEM. What does that look like? So I guess in black and white terms, it would be a, a general 50-50 split when it comes to gender Mm -hmm. equality. And I know, you know, gender is not just male and female. There are all different spectrums of who you can be. But I I think that the actual results of that would be a more diverse workplace that is welcoming Mm -hmm. to everybody. So I focus a lot on gender diversity because I am a suitable role model and spokesperson for women in STEM, I would be a terrible spokesperson for, you know, someone from the LGBTQ plus background because I, I am not one of those people who fit into that community. And I, sure. while I totally support everything that they're doing and we need more from all types of communities in STEM, um, I focus on women in STEM only because I am a suitable spokesperson. (laughs) But it looks like, I guess, you know, gender equality in STEM, you know, it's not just gender that's important. It is diversity. And the reason it's important for employers is diversity of thought. So as I mentioned before, in STEM, we solve the world's biggest and most complex problems. And in order to do that, you need to have people who think differently. So people from different cultural backgrounds, people from, yeah, different sexual orientations, people who, you know, people from all, you know, different neurodiversity is really important. All sorts of different people from different backgrounds who think differently need to come together to solve these problems. If we are all the same type of person trying to solve a problem, then a couple of things happen. Firstly, we don't get innovative and creative solutions. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we tend to make more mistakes. So if you're in a group of people solving a problem and they're all like you, maybe they're all the same age as you, they're all from the same background, then you end up having this trust in their work and you don't end up questioning anything they say or they do. And while trust is important, we also need to be able to question each other and say, oh, okay, why why did you put that solution forward? That's really interesting. Have you thought about this? Mm -hmm. So when we kind of are all the same, we don't, like we will end up making all these mistakes as well. Um, Sure. Yeah, so diversity in STEM specifically is so important, not just for creating a more welcoming environment for everybody, but also it's a business issue. Like if STEM businesses don't get on top of this, then they're going to be left behind. Totally. Mm. Thank you for introducing a new word to us, uh, neurobiology. I've never heard that (laughs) word before. It's a good one. And um, here neurodiversity. Neurodiversity. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did I say neurobiology? Yeah. <laughs> did. Sorry. Okay. Neurodiversity. My bad. My bad. Um, there's a bit, a lot of talk about culture fit here in the United States. And is such, such, and so, and so a, a good culture fit 
for the job, but it sounds like culture fit in a STEM career is a nail in the coffin as per the way that you're talking about it, which makes total sense. We yes. do have to be able to, to be able to come together and attack problems from all angles and not have someone feel um, as though they are being unfairly challenged. And in, in that way, the work is compromised. I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, back when I was an engineering manager, I was taught to hire people for culture fit. And this is now mm -hmm. something I look back on and think that was a mistake. You know, that was mm -hmm. something that we were taught to do and it doesn't help. And the way we used to hire was kind of a bit like, could I, you know, on a Friday afternoon, go to the <laughs> pub with this person and have a good time. Uh -huh. And yeah, while that's kind of fun and eat like makes it easier for us to manage people who are like us, it doesn't sure. help with the, you know, the bigger picture, which is all the good stuff we were talking about before. So I've heard a lot of companies now, instead of using the term culture fit and focusing on whether people fit in, which is mm -hmm. detrimental to diversity, I hear sure. a lot of people now talking about culture ad. So what's missing mm. and how do we oh. fill those gaps? Yeah. Ooh, I mm. love that. Forget about culture fit. That's so 2019. Like, let's talk <laughs> about culture ad. Ooh, I love that. Awesome. Okay, I'm stealing that. Thank you so much for, for passing that along. Um, so an actionable part of your mission is to empower women. And in preparation for this podcast, Katie and I both listened to your more, more recent podcast episodes and confidence is a through line connecting a lot of these episodes. How important is confidence for women or for people of color or women of color going into the STEM field? It is probably one of the most important things that you need and it's not talked about enough. Or mm. when it's talked about, it's not a helpful conversation. So I hear a lot mm. of people say women need to be more confident. They need to be more cutthroat in the corporate mm. environment. But then they don't teach them how to be more confident or what that looks yeah. like. And yeah. for someone who is in the majority in a company, they will never understand what it's like to have lack of confidence in in that role because why would they? It's not their fault. You know, they, yeah. they have never had to experience being the odd one out. So confidence for minorities in STEM is so important because it helps them to navigate all sorts of career challenges in a way that is going to be really effective and helpful to their careers. And when they can navigate those challenges, then they can also, I guess, benefit the people around them. So when you lack yeah. confidence, you might hide, you might not talk about the ideas that you have. And when you don't talk about those ideas or solutions that you've come up with, then your team is suffering. They don't, they've got one less person producing new ideas. Sure. Mm. So yeah, I guess having confidence is important, not just for you, but for everyone else around you as well. Interesting. Okay. I love that. I, and it feels like when you can pump confidence into your fellow woman or person of color. It's almost like a lift as you climb sort of situation. Here, I'll give you a little bit of confidence. Go do your best work and, and pass it on. Pay it forward. Don't pay mm. it back kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. 
Well, let's get give us some homework. We want a call to action. Um, we know that the problem of gender diversity exists in STEM, and we want to help. Uh, I'm sorry. We know the problem of gender non-diversity <laughs> yeah. exists in STEM, and we want to help to diversify it. What are some marching orders that you can give us to help to make STEM fields more inclusive for women and for people of color? Yeah. So there's two sides to this. One is the, you know, be an advocate side. And that's a lot of the work that I'm doing. And obviously this podcast and the work that you're doing as well, being a voice, amplifying other people's voices and, you know, standing up for what you believe in and that what you believe is important. So that's one side of it. And um, it's important because it means it gets STEM organizations to listen and that they will find out that this stuff is important to our generation of workers. So Mm -hmm. that is one side of it, but it is slow change, right? It takes generations and um you know there's a bit of a cultural lag when it comes to making change like this Mm. for all sorts of reasons which I won't get into today but it it takes a (laughs) lot of time to change people's minds and beliefs about diversity and, and things to do with our cultural system in society but keep doing it because it is making a difference. It's just that the results are basically a lag indicator of all the work that we're doing. So all the work we're doing today mm. is going to help people in the future. Love it. Actually, can I ask a follow-up question to that? Because there's how do we kill the stereotype of uh, of of women aren't good with numbers or men have a better head for numbers than, than women or men are more uh, geared towards the sciences. How do we start to kill those stereotypes in our younger children so that they don't grow up and continue to perpetuate them? Yeah, that is such a tricky one because I don't know where this belief came from that, you know, our brains are not wired for numbers or formulas. Yeah. It's just bizarre, isn't it? Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, (laughs) and you know, it, it, it really is about, you know, if if you have a voice or if you have connection to young women in your life to be that role model. So if you are a woman Mm. in STEM or even if you're not like talk about your career and talk about things that, um, you feel, you do that are typically male just so that they've got someone visible that they can see in their lives that do that kind of stuff. Um, So I think that's really important. Ooh, I love that advice. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. Uh, My pleasure. I do want to go back to, um, you know, what what we were talking about before. So what was the question? You asked me, um, Call to action. Call to action. Okay. So I talked about one side where it was like the advocacy side and um, being a voice. That is important. Do that if that is your calling. But the other important thing is for us to help ourselves. So Mm. as women in STEM, we often feel a bit disempowered because the society is against us, the social structure is against us, what the heck can we do about it? But mm-hmm. what we do need to remember is that we've got to take responsibility for what's in our control. So, yes, there's all, all this stuff that's out of our control that we can't 
quite changed yet. You know, we can't suddenly expect our employer to hire 50% women so that we're we're sitting in a group of women and men equally. You know, that's not going to happen. And I acknowledge that that's difficult. However, there are things that you can still do to help yourself. And that is stuff like, you know, learning how to increase your confidence in the face of these challenges, learning how to navigate these career challenges in your own way based on the stuff that's in your circle of control. There is stuff Mm. that's outside of your circle of control and it sucks, but you can't do anything about it. So why not focus Mm. on the stuff that you can do something about? Yeah. That's really, really empowering advice. That's a mic drop moment. I'm going (laughs) to leave that advice there because I think that that's great advice for women in in all career fields. Um, And we also want to get to to know you a little bit more outside of your career. Can we do a fun little rapid fire with you just to get to know Tiffany outside of of the, the workforce? Absolutely. Can't wait for this. Okay, perfect. Rapid fire, nine questions. Answer the first thing to come to mind. There are no wrong answers. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. (laughs) Favorite Steminist? Oh, I'm going to say something that's going to sound like an absolute cop out, but I cannot choose one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Look, I I think the thing is, um, this is not rapid at all. I know I'm, I'm that's okay. Yabbering on here. But the thing I want to make clear is that everyone who's trying to do something in their field to make um, STEM a more diverse place is an absolute hero. Just because they're not well known, just because they're not loud, just because they're not on social media talking about it, it doesn't mean that their work is doing any less than someone else like me who's a loud mouth and has their own podcast, you know? Totally, (laughs) totally. Yeah, every single person who is going out of their way outside of their own job description to do something for diversity in STEM is doing an amazing job. Love it. I love that answer. I'll be quicker Uh, with the other ones. No, no, you're good. You're good. I love this. Uh, What are you most excited to do once lockdown is over? See my friends. At the moment, we're allowed to see one person at a time, but it's just, you know, I think seeing a group of friends and also making plans to visit my family in Australia would be amazing. So wait, in the UK, you're only allowed to see one person. Is there like a a, a requirement of of who this person can be? Or is it just like one person, but you you can make it any kind of person you want? Yeah, you're allowed to exercise outside with one person from another household. (laughs) Oh, Ah. Oh, that's super specific. Yeah. Okay. Looks like the U.S. needs to take a page out of the U.K.'s book. Okay. No, Australia uh, and, the, and New Zealand are doing much better. Don't follow the U.K. at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, what's the best career advice you've ever received? Tell people what you want. <laughs> so if you've got mm. a career goal or you want something or you want to be part of a meeting, People aren't mind readers. They don't know what you Mm. want. You have to tell them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. Well, then what's the worst career advice you've ever gotten? Fake it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) That goes 
That's still going around. Yeah, people love to give that. That always has felt like a default piece of career advice. Like, yeah. what advice do you have for my career? Like, uh, fake it till you make it, kid. I know. It's oh. like, it, it <laughs> helps in certain situations. So if you've got to do a client presentation and you're feeling unconfident, you can't look like a nervous wreck. You've got to fake it. Sure. But it's sure. not a long-term confidence building tool. It will make mm. you feel like an imposter, which is why I think so many people suffer from imposter syndrome because we're following this advice. Yeah. Oh, wow. I never put two and two together. But then again, you're this is your career. So that's really, really brilliant. Um, She's a life coach. Yeah, that's a great way to, uh, I think, um, handle imposter syndrome is to get underneath it and figure out where it came from. And it, and maybe fake it till you make it is part of why imposter syndrome is so strong in people. I never connected those two. Thank you for that. <laughs> My pleasure. Uh, what was the last book that you read that left a lasting impression on you? Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yes, that is a book a lot of people are reading right now. Okay, yeah. adding it to my list. Yeah, this well, like weirdly improved my confidence um, because hmm. I learned to trust myself. I learned that I could create these habits and I could follow through with what I promised myself. So definitely one to read. Okay, mm -hmm. I will also drop a link to Atomic Habits in the show notes for anyone who's interested. Uh, what's the last purchase that you made that really excited you? So my friend in Australia had a birthday recently and I got her some cupcakes delivered to her work. And I was so excited because I knew I'd, I'd wake up in the morning to a text message with her, like eating a cupcake, like a photo of her eating a cupcake. So that was really exciting. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Oh, what good friend you are. Awesome. <laughs> um, what would your last meal on earth be? Oh, that's a really tricky question because I love... <laughs> Like I love so much food. Um, There's no wrong answers. You can go as hard as you want so with this question. At, <laughs> at the moment, I'm feeling like I would love, you know, Chinese yum cha or dim sum where it's mm. like, you know what that is? It's kind yes. of like your Chinese tapas where you people come around with trolleys of different food and it's just amazing. I haven't had that in a mm -hmm. long time, which is probably why I'm thinking about it now. And <laughs> no matter what the meal would be, I would really, really want it to end with my dad's profiteroles. So he Ooh. makes these profiteroles that he stuffs with like vanilla bean ice cream and molten <sighs> chocolate sauce and strawberries. Mm. So that oh would gosh. definitely be included. Oh, Okay, I am now getting hungry. I should definitely have eaten breakfast before this interview. All right. Um, what's a recipe that you discovered in quarantine and now you just cannot stop making? So this is one I only just tried the other day and I'm going to continue making it, which is this popcorn Rocky Road. So mm. it's like dark chocolate, Ooh. marshmallows, popcorn, like rice bubbles, like Rice Krispies and sultanas all mixed together oh. and put in the fridge really easy to make and it was delicious wow and do you eat it like a bark is it like a got it yeah. interesting yeah yeah they like kind of cut it up into squares yum yeah oh so it's a candy Ooh, love that okay <laughs> like a, a nice weekend treat love that <laughs> and finally bad days we all have them what's your remedy uh i chase my dogs around the living room <laughs> 
they're just I'm so lucky to have these two dogs that they're no like whether they're half asleep or you know in the middle of doing something they're always up for playing and running around and Mm. on days where I feel a bit crap I can always count on their ridiculousness to cheer me up Sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about why everyone loves dogs. And that's Ah. kind of a part of it. Like dogs are always excited to see you, whether they're Mm -hmm. lethargic or whether they're super energetic, like you're the person they want to hang out with. You're the person they want to make feel great. And they will nearly jump out of their skin to do it. So I I totally understand you on that. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for doing this. Thank you so much for taking the time and answering our STEM questions and hopefully inspiring our listeners who maybe have been a little bit nervous to approach a STEM career or have always Mm. wanted a STEM career but don't quite know where to start. Where can our listeners keep up with you if they want to listen to the podcast, if they want more career advice from you? We want all of the plugs and all of the things. <laughs> well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. I always say that when I'm interviewed for other people's podcasts, it feels like a therapy session. So I, <laughs> I, always, feel, <laughs> I always feel like I've had some profound thoughts based on people's questions. So thank you for having me on and for helping sure. me to amplify the message that I've got. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the stuff that I do and and you know, to get some free career tips and stuff. Uh, I'm really active on Instagram and LinkedIn. So Instagram, Mm. my handle is Tiffany Dawson underscore LinkedIn. You'll just have to search me, Tiffany Dawson. You'll see a picture (laughs) of my mug there somewhere. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I've got a Facebook group called Wonder Women in STEM. So if you work in a STEM career or you're considering it, that's a really supportive community that you can join. Um, And also, as you mentioned before, I do have my own podcast called How to Be a Steminist. So Mm -hmm. um, I would love it if you would come and join me on one of those platforms because I I always love people. yeah, getting to know people who have listened in to either podcast <laughs> interviews like this or have listened in to any of my episodes as well. Thank you so much again, Tiffany, for doing this. I also have to say you have a very soothing podcast voice. Mm-hmm. So if anyone <laughs> is looking for a great podcast that um, will soothe them, that is that's wonderful for the heart and soul and also great for the ears, I definitely would wreck out. Check them out. Would definitely recommend checking out Tiffany's podcast. Oh, thank you. And with that, For sure. And with that, that is our episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Black and Yellow Podcast, or you can find us individually on Instagram. I'm Alana Webster. However, they do call me at Renegade of Fun and Katie. I'm Katie, and you can find me at Diz Villain Scholar. (laughs) We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to rate and review. It really helps to help this little show keep going. And we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.